We're jumping back into a series called Everyday Joy. You can meet me in Philippians 2. Uh, we're going to jump into God's Word together. Philippians 2. We'll look at the first 11 verses. And let's read that together. What time is it? Okay, let's go. So if there any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affections, any sympathy, complete my joy. There's that word joy again. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Watch three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to talk to you about a joyful mind this morning. Point number one, the joy of unity, the joy of unity. And point number two, the mind of Christ. Let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, thank you. Thank you that your word is secure. It is settled in heaven. Thank you that the, the flower fades and the grass withers, but your word stands forevermore. Thank you that you send out your word and it accomplishes what you send, send it out to do. Thank you uh, that your word does not change. And on that, we proclaim your word from Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Lord, speak to us. Rodney has little to say this morning. God, would you stir our affections for Jesus as we look at this passage? Would we walk with you more closely because of our time together in your word? And would you do what I can? Would you change people's lives with your word? Empowered by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been walking through this book, and I just want to give a little bit of background. Paul has been writing to this church that he planted 10 years prior, this church that he loves, and this church loves him. Uh, they support him uh, in their partnership with the gospel, their, their giving of their finances to promote the ministry. Not just financially do they support the Apostle Paul, but they support the Apostle Paul by doing what the Apostle Paul did. They make disciples. They help people move from spiritual death to spiritual life. And Paul is encouraged to see the church walking in that way. Paul would say over and over and over again in, in this book that it's bringing him great joy. He is rejoicing over the work that the church is doing at Philippi. And Paul has been encouraging them in chapter one. He's been saying things like this. God that begins a good work in you shall bring it to completion. In other words, he's encouraging the Philippian church to remember God doesn't give up on you. That's a good word for us. 
God doesn't give up on us. If he starts something, he finishes it. He's also gone so far to say, even though he is in prison, even though people are talking about him, even though he's lacking certain things that he would desire, he counts his life uh, all for the glory of God. He wants everything that he's doing while he's breathing to be for the glory of Christ. He is a single issue Christian. Here's the issue that Christ would be glorified in his body. And then he makes this amazing statement. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is Paul saying? So while I'm alive, while this heart keeps on ticking, I'm going to be being about the proclamation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he's fixated on that. And then verse 27 through 30, Pastor Casey came and blessed us last week. And he talked about living this life uh, that is worthy of the gospel and what that means. In, in, in tough times and challenging times, when you're forgotten and left behind, you could have gone through tremendous and tragic circumstances. But God was with you and God is with you and God is advocating for you. Right. And so he's calling us. Paul is to live a life worthy of the gospel and that we would lock arms side by side and strive for the faith of the gospel. Paul wants us to be firm in doctrine, but also firm in unity. And so he continues in that as we pick up in chapter two, uh, verses one through four, he's talking about this idea of the church walking together in unity and unity is hard. Paul's going to give some some encouragement, some some motivations to get our heart going on on on, on why we should be walking in unity. And so he says here in, 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 the, in the first uh, verse, he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation of spirit, any affection and, and, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. He's saying, in other words, if God's done something to you, walk in unity. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his commentary on this passage. Listen to how Eugene puts it. If you've gotten anything out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in the community of the spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, what Paul is trying to do is saying, man, because you have been with Christ, because you are known by Christ, because you are loved by Christ, because he is giving you his Holy Spirit, be, be, because you have a heart, because you've, you've been made new in Christ, because of those things, Paul is saying, complete my joy. Now, I love this. This is a little preacher moment that I get here. Man, you want to you want to make a pastor have joy? Walk in unity. You want to make a minister rejoice? Walk in unity. Be in one accord. Be on mission together. That's that's what unity is. Right. Unifor unity is not uniformity. Unity is not sameness. The Apostle Paul understands this because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the diversity of gifts, the diversity of gifts that the spirit gives to the church. There are diversity of gifts. There are diversities of personalities. There are diversities of hobbies. 
There are certain things you like that I don't like. There are certain things I like that you don't get down with, and that's cool. He is not calling us all to be the same. So at Gospel Fellowship, we rejoice over all kinds of diversity, not just ethnic diversity. Diversity in how you live your life. Man, praise God for that. We come under the Lordship of Jesus. We all read the same book and we're all on the same mission to be salt and light in the earth that we're where God's called us to. We're we're together. We're unified, not the same, but together. Unity's hard. Unity's hard because we have a lack of humility. We have a lack of humility. You don't believe me. Let me help you. Think about the last time you had a big family gathering. This could have been a family reunion. This could have been somebody's birthday party. Uh, could have been a, a, a wedding. Think about the last time. This probably does your soul good because we've been locked down for so long. Think about the last time there was a big gathering with your family. Let me ask you this question. Any drama? And even if it wasn't public, you know, people throwing plates and, you know, knives at each other. Any, any backroom drama? Any rolling of the eyes? Any avoiding certain people? When humans get together, there's issues, there's drama, there's situations. That's how our coach, that's that's our cultural norm. And what Paul is doing here is he's calling us to live beyond what our cultural norms are. He's saying that we should walk in unity. And then he says, verse three, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. Rodney, what is selfish ambition? What is conceit? What does that look like? It looks like when we are doing things for the purposes of making it all about me. It is when we have turned our love for God and our love for people to greatest commandments there. And we've made that all about our love for self. It is when we have made this, this, this world and our life's mission about me, myself, and I. Conceit's mother or self, selfish ambition's mother, if they had one, it would probably be pride. I read somewhere this week that pride is the soil in which all sin and malice and evil comes out of. And that's, that's logical to me. In Proverbs chapter six, the Bible says there are six things that the Lord hates and one is an abomination. The first thing that's listed there are haughty eyes or a proud look. It's when you think you are better than other people. It's when you have the audacity to look down your nose at someone else. Have you been there? When you walked into work or when you walk in your home or when you 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 go somewhere or you see something or you see someone, do you do you conclude better than them, better than them, better than them? Not on my level, not on my level. God hates that. 
Now this is, this is the kind of message that kicks against the pricks of what comes very, very natural for us, particularly if we're achievers by nature, if we're people that accumulate accomplishments. For me to say not to look down could be the reason why you worked as hard as you worked to get what you have. And then the scriptures come and say, humble yourself, walk in humility. I understand this is countercultural, but we got help to help us live the way God's called us to live. This this pride, even going all the way back to our first parents, it's Adam and Eve that desire to, to, to be like God. And that's what causes them to eat the forbidden fruit. Cause them to walk in pride and sin. Or we can go back further. Uh, it, 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 is, it, 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 it is the devil. It, it is Lucifer that is up in heaven who, who has this idea. I will be like God. And Jesus says, behold, I saw Lucifer fall from heaven like lightning. God, get this, hates pride. In the New Testament, he says he resists the proud and he gives grace and humble. It is, it is as if God is stiff arming proud people. God, we need the grace to walk in humility. And that same kind of pride that was in Adam, that really was in every human that lived minus one, is the same pride that can be functioning in your heart and mind right now. You see, pride can look like uh, this hero mentality that if, if you if you tell a story somehow, some way, at some point in the story, you were going to make yourself the hero. Or this pride can look like as you tell stories and have conversations somehow, some way you always end up being faultless. It's never your fault. This pride could also show up some ways as when you tell stories somehow, some way, or maybe the narrative of your life is, is, is you're, you're the perpetual victim. Now, there are real victims, and I don't want to speak light to that. But if you are always the one victimized, could it be that pride's at work? Or maybe one of the ways that it shows the pride shows itself in your in your life is the way that you consistently somehow, some way in your narratives, you're going to make it about yourself. You're going to make it about you or the ones that are close to you or your organization or what you are doing to make this world a better world. And this pride, it's it's tricky stuff. So here's what we need. We need the help of the Holy Ghost to help search our hearts. The Bible says this, who can know the heart for it is desperately wicked. I don't know my heart and you don't know your heart. I bet that if your heart walked past you in front of your face, cloaked as a human, you wouldn't recognize your heart either. We don't know our hearts. Our hearts are desperately wicked. We need the strength of the Holy Ghost to speak to us and show us our pride. We need friends. I need friends that are going to tell me the truth, even if it's uncomfortable. Because I need help in exposing the pride, the self-conceit or, or the selfish ambition, the conceit in my own life. And when I have those friends that speak the truth to me, beloved, embrace them. 
I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. Listen to this quote. I'm going to read it slow. This is good. He says, a heart inverted upon itself is sure to cultivate suffocating pride. It expresses itself in a fixation on ourselves. The selfishness is expressed in terms of worry and anxiety. Thin skin, gossip, slander, lying, being afraid of what others think of you, laziness, or being a workaholic, harshness, or relentless clinging to your own rights. One of the ways pride, or many ways that pride shows up in our lives when we think we got it captured, it, it leaks out in some other way. I love what John Stott says about this. He says, at every stage of our Christian development and at every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. Lord, you got to help us be humble. Okay, Rodney, you, you got me. Hands up. That's me. Um, I need help. I got pride that I need to repent of. It shows up everywhere in my life. It shows up in my personal relationships. It shows up in my friendships. It shows up at work. This, this conceit, this me pursuing, this vain, empty glory. I want my name in lights above so-and-so. Social media drives me to this. Instagram, Facebook exposes this. Rodney, you got me. Give me seven steps to a turnaround. Give me three steps and let me dance and run and then I'll be free from pride. I wish I could because I would have danced and run. The question isn't, how do I get rid of pride? God's answer for pride is not a, how it's a who Paul is going to drive us to a person that can help rid us of our pride he says this so let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus in other words Paul is saying here um you're going to need surgery. You're going to need to take out that old mind, that that old way of thinking, that 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 twisted way of thinking. And you're going to have to put on the mind of Christ. You need a new way of thinking and processing information. The way you process it is not the way God's calling you to process it, even though you live in a culture which processes everything against the way God's calling us to process it. You need a new mind. You need surgery. You need the skillful hands of a doctor that has sharp instrumentation to help take out your old way of thinking and put on a new way of thinking. What kind of instrumentation will this physician use? Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 tells us for the word of God is living. And it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit, of joints and of the marrow. Watch this. 
and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word, come here, the word of God can go deeper than we have ever imagined. And when we soak ourselves and bathe ourselves in the word of God, it begins to change the way we think and view our lives. We're able, as we spend time in the word of God, to begin to do by the spirit of God what the word of God says. The word of God goes deep into our hearts and does profound work. It is, it, it is able to decipher between our thoughts and our intentions. We need God's word. Why? So that we can have the mind of Christ. You see, if you don't get the word of God, you won't get the mind of Christ because you'll end up making up your own Christ when you try to find out the mind of Christ without the word of God. Beloved, they go together. You yourself must spend time in God's word to find out God's mind, Christ's mind. We need that for our souls. And then he goes in to this powerful, powerful verses, uh, verses six through 11. It is just an amazing portion of scriptures. These verses that he's about to go into helps us understand how we can fight against pride and conceit and selfish ambition. Remember, I said the answer is not a, a, a how or what do I do? The answer is a who. It's Jesus. And now Paul is going to point us to the person of Jesus. This passage is sound doctrine, and this passage is good for sound living. Here's what the early church understood, that deep truths have to be meditated on. They have to be pressed down deep into our hearts. So they would sing at the communion table, passing the bread and passing the cups. They would sing these verses in worship to God. You see, me preaching about unity may not produce unity. But when we look to Jesus, as we emulate his work, God, by his spirit, can bring about a spirit of humility in our hearts. These verses talk about Christ's humiliation and his exaltation. Let's look at verse six who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Did you hear that? Jesus is God. Let's be clear. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 3, tells us that, that he is the pre-existing Christ. He has always existed. He always was God, always is God, and will always be God. He is God in the flesh. He's Jesus. And he comes down, right, to rescue us. He, he, he could have stayed where he is. He could have grasped on to, his, to, to, to his, his divinity and never accept corrupt humanity. But in his humiliation, he takes that on to rescue us. 
And he, he takes his divinity, which he always has. Again, he's always God. And he adds to his divinity humanity. It is his dual nature. It is his hypostatic nature that he is God and man on a rescue mission to save us. What humility. And he would come down as a child and live and learn and grow and then die for us. He would die where we should have died. He would die in our place. And the Bible says that he, that he did this by being obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. And then Paul says, for, I believe, emphasis in understanding even the death on the cross. This shows how deep his humiliation goes. The cross was the worst kind of death that someone could experience at his time. He goes from the ultimate high to the lowest of lows. And he dies the death on the cross. But not only does this text show us and help us understand his humiliation, it points us thankfully to his exaltation. And his exaltation starts with his resurrection. It's the fact that he did not stay dead. No, he defeated death, the grave, and sin on that cross. And on the third day, he rose with all power in his hand. He rose. Can you see that exaltation? It is Christ beginning his ascent, if you will. Stays on this earth and he shows himself to hundreds of people. He allows his disciples to touch him and see it, that it's Jesus and he's in his resurrected body. The same body you and I will have when we're spending eternity with him. And then he ascends on a cloud back to the Father, seated on the right hand of God. Do you, do you see this exaltation? That he, he completely humbled himself. But there's an exaltation that comes after our humility. And then we see this powerful verse that, therefore, verse 9, God has exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, I've heard this passage taught like, if you humble yourself, God will promote you. And you're going to get a promotion on your job. And your marriage is going to turn around. And you're going to get healed. Praise God for those promotions. But what's happening in this text is so much greater than the promotion you're praying for. It's so much greater than the spouse you are praying for. It's, 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 it's so much greater than, than, than any toy or anything you can purchase. This kind of exaltation far outweighs any temporal exaltation you can experience on this earth. But here's what you're finding as you read this text. When we humble ourselves before God, he in return exalts us in due time. And if Christ can trust God to be humble that low, we can trust him to be humble too. We can trust him at certain times to be perceived as a rotten loss right there. That lady lost right there. 
They took that L. They didn't slap him when they said that to him. They must be weak. He didn't return evil for evil. Listen, beloved, when we humble ourselves in our attitude, in our disposition, in the way that we speak, in the way that we carry ourselves, we are entrusting ourselves to a holy and righteous God who promises in his own timing to exalt us. And in that, we can be encouraged. And in the same way he did it for, for his own son, he'll do it for us. God can be trusted in this. He gives him a name that is above every name. We can conclude with this and we can go home. We need a new mind. We need a new way of thinking. Where has the Spirit of God been exposing stuff to you as I've been speaking? Where has he shown you areas of growth in your life where you have been walking in pride? You're, you, you've had a prideful way of thinking. Maybe you'll say, well, Rodney, that's just my culture. I come from a proud people. I hear you. But the Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. He's not saying that you would extract your culture, but that you would bring your culture, your way of life, how you were raised under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That if you were raised to be prideful in a sinful way, that you would repent of that and take on the new culture and the way of life that God's calling you to. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So I have one next step for you today. Or two, new, two, two steps. One is, man, whatever that is that you need to renounce. Maybe, man, as I'm talking, you're thinking through a conversation you had where you just, man, you were, you were prideful. It's all get out. Um, if you're like me, man, you're, you're thinking about this just, just all the time. How in certain conversations, certain ways, the way you present stuff, it's, it's about Rodney and Rodney needs to repent of that. There's so many ways the Spirit of God is convicting me about pride this week. How is he convicting you? And where do you need to repent? Secondly, man, if you are watching this, you've been following us on Facebook, hanging out with us, I'm so glad you're here. Would you do me a favor and just fill out a connection card, man, message us. Let us know you're watching. We'll love to connect with you. Um, talk about what next steps could look like for you. We'll love to reach out with you and have that conversation.